Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds in stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's ARKseedkits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. Arcseedkits.com. Today is December 17th, 2021, and our first story. A grand jury is currently underway seeking to indict Donald Trump on fraud charges. Liberals are saying the indictment will end any chance at a Trump 2024 run. In our next story, 103 Marines have been discharged for refusing the vaccine, and up to 30,000 more servicemen and women face the same discharge. This could be very serious for the armed forces. And our last story is me addressing the controversy from last night's Timcast IRL podcast with R.A. the Rugged Man. I think it's a good breakdown, and I think it's something you need to hear on politics and philosophy. Now, if you like the show, give us a good review. Leave us five stars. Now, let's get into that first story. Over on the Timcast IRL podcast, we've had many guests, former members of the Trump administration who insist Donald Trump will be running in 2024 and he will win. However, we've spoken with some other people who say, ah, Ron DeSantis is going to run. And if he does, Trump will, well, Trump will have a run for his money because DeSantis could really, he could really win this one. But now we have this article from The Nation, left-wing publication, why Trump won't be the candidate in 2024. And the reason? They say Trump is going to be indicted for racketeering and fraud because of his financial crimes. Maybe, maybe he will be indicted. Will he then be able to run in 2024? 2024 is a bit of an eternity away, so we'll see. But my friends, yes, it is true. There is currently a grand jury being convened to determine whether or not there will be an indictment issued for Donald Trump. We have this story from Business Insider. They say one of his accountants has already testified. And we have this breaking story from Forbes. Forbes testified before the Trump grand jury yesterday. Here's why we fought their subpoena. And I respect Forbes for fighting this subpoena. Now, it goes beyond just what's happening with this indictment. You have to wonder why the AG up in New York decided not to run. Hmm. Could it be that they know the only way to stop Donald Trump is through Let's just call it extra legal lawfare. You know, lawfare typically means like a lawsuit, or whatever, but I guess it's a lawfare. Tangle him up in lawsuits, which they're saying are coming or they're happening. Or actually, I believe they already happened. Tangle him up in a criminal case and go after his allies, the January 6th committee to strain his resources. And then Trump may not be able to actually run again in 2024. And this is what I truly believe. I think it is a fair and reasonable assessment to say that the powers that be, the establishment, be it state level, be it private lawsuits or the January 6th committee, 
They are doing everything in their power to put massive weights on Donald Trump and his allies so that he will not be able to run. They did this in his first term. Why? They didn't think he'd win. They thought he was a Pied Piper candidate who would lead people astray and then fracture the Republican Party. Well, he kind of did that, fracturing the Republican Party only by storming in and winning. They did not expect that one. Then they decided, well, we must obstruct. They strapped as many weights to Donald Trump as possible. You had Russiagate and you had two impeachments. They were doing everything they could to shackle him so he could not lead this country. And they don't want him to get another chance now. So in comes the lawfare, which is why you'll see the left wing publications say he is not going to be the 2024 candidate. Now, maybe it'll be Ron DeSantis. I certainly think so. And I certainly like a lot of what uh, Ron DeSantis is doing. A lot of people do. And I have to be honest, Donald Trump has a lot wrong with him and his character. He did right in many ways for this country. Far from perfect. I like the ending of the wars. Will Ron DeSantis be the right person for the job? I'll, I'll tell you, I think it is extremely likely that Ron DeSantis gets elected and goes full neocon establishment. I see him getting elected off of many issues we, we care about, COVID freedoms in Florida, fighting critical race praxis in schools. And so you'll get a lot of people, a lot of moderates, independents saying the economy is what's important. Culture is what's important. And we want to make sure that, you know, in line with both of these things, the COVID restrictions are not, you know, handed down, like are not uh, reinstated and, and, you know, going to be shutting down our lives again. For that, Ron DeSantis seems to be the guy. However, I think he's still your traditional Republican player, but it's not entirely fair. That's speculative. Why? Well, I'm, a kind, of, I'm kind of a jaded guy. You know, I, I don't trust these politicians. I did not vote for Trump the first time. Only after seeing what he was doing and then seeing his second term agenda, I said, OK, I'll vote for this guy. And I've never been the biggest fan of his attitude. Ron DeSantis has done many things that I think are good and that are worthy of support. But he's also, you know, I, I believe he signed on to anti-BDS legis legislation, anti-free. It's, it's opposing free speech stuff. It's a little bit more complicated than that. But I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that any one of these politicians will do right by us. And I have seen what the establishment Republican Party does. They're trash. They're awful. They don't fight for anybody but themselves. Well, they're, they're the, they're the uh, Washington generals to the Democrats' Harlem Globetrotters. But let's take a look at what's going on with this criminal indictment that may be coming for Donald Trump and what else Democrats and the Uniparty are doing to try and stop Donald Trump from running again. Before we get started, my friends, head over to TimCast.com and become a member to get, to get access to exclusive members-only segments of the TimCast IRL podcast, as well as just generally supporting the work that we do. All the journalists we have, we have, I, I think we have maybe 10 different people working on our editorial staff, and we are funded and, and operate thanks to you as members. We do have ads, but that's not really a big part of how we make this operation run. It's you guys. If you think we do good work, please become a member. And I will also point out there's a big hubbub over the, the episode we did yesterday with R.A. the Rugged Man. You can check that out as a member, and it's kind of overloading the site because everyone's jumping in to see what happened because it got really heated. So definitely, if you, want, if you want us to keep working, having these debates and conversations, being a member really helps. But don't forget to like this video, subscribe to this channel, share the show with your friends. Let's first read about these, these grand, this grand jury, and then I want to talk about why the nation is saying Trump will be indicted. Business Insider says, a longtime accountant of former President Donald Trump recently gave evidence to a grand jury investigating whether Trump or his company committed fraud in their business dealings, the Washington Post reported. CNN later confirmed the report. The office of the Manhattan District Attorney, Cyrus Vance Jr., has been investigating whether Trump or the Trump Organization inflated the value of some of his properties when trying to secure loans in 2019. In November, 
Vance formed a grand jury to ascertain whether this whether his office could pursue criminal charges. Donald Bender, a Trump accountant with the firm Mazars, recently made a brief appearance in front of the grand jury. The Post said neither the Post nor CNN said when the appearance took place. Bender had access to Trump's financial information and prepared financial statements that the Trump organization sent to lenders. Vance's office also was investigating whether Trump lied to his own accountants. The New York Times said Tuesday, prosecutors believe potential lenders to Trump were provided with optimistic projections about the value of his assets that were drawn up by the Trump organization, the Times said. The Manhattan DA's office and Mazars did not immediately respond to insiders' request for comment. So this means they're coming for him. The grand jury is here and grand juries almost always return indictments because they're not there to determine guilt. They're there to determine a preponderance of evidence. The, 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 the emergence of a grand jury, in my opinion, says Trump will be indicted, but innocent until proven guilty. And yes, I believe this is all political games and manipulation. Now, Forbes has this story out. Forbes testified before the Trump grand jury yesterday. Here's why we fought their subpoena. It's from Randall Lane. He says, I was uh, almost three months ago, I was subpoenaed by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, Cyrus Vance Jr., to appear before the grand jury investigating Donald Trump. I was subpoenaed to to testify about the 2015 cover story I wrote chronicling his decade-long fixation with our net worth estimate. My colleague, Chase Peterson Whithorn, was also subpoenaed for a related story on the value of the former President Trump's tower apartment. We've been fighting these subpoenas ever since. Full stop. Much, much respect. Tremendous respect to these journalists fighting these subpoenas. He's, uh, let me read. They set a dangerous precedent. How do we keep an autonomous press when journalists suddenly must testify for or against the subjects they cover or manage the chilling effect when sources of information on matters of public interest worry whether reporters could be dragged into a courtroom or when journalists hold back fearful of the, of the resources needed to lawyer up? The mundanity in the circumstance, his fixation with the Forbes ranking is well known. And we've already shared the information the prosecutors seek with the entire world through our reporting. With the subject himself transparently doing the talking makes it all more alarming. I agree with Forbes here. I think first we must recognize the presence of the grand jury. I think we also must recognize the recklessness by which the grand jury is is behaving. Coming, Coming after journalists, that's wrong. And I think this shows the overreach and the zealousness of those who are so insanely desperate to stop Donald Trump. Why? Because he'll win. Look how many votes he got last time. I get it. A lot of people voted for Joe Biden. I think there's issues that we can we can talk about when when people question what went on in 2020. But I genuinely believe and it's crazy to me. I, I genuinely believe that Joe Biden, he won. He won because people were locked in their homes with no sports, with no movies, with with nothing. And all they got from the media over and over again was Trump was bad. That It's a really simple uh, position to, to see, not to mention the universal mail-in voting and how we saw the rules get changed in many areas. But people did vote for this guy. Does that mean that come 2024, the same thing will happen? Oh, absolutely not, because Joe Biden is screwing everything up. So they know they have to pull out all the stops, be it violating the First Amendment if it means stopping Donald Trump. Have you seen the price of gold lately? It's hitting all-time highs. And when it comes to investing in gold, check out Noble Gold Investments. They have a track record of excellence that's second to none. Just look at their thousands of five-star reviews on Trustpilot, Google, and the Better Business Bureau. Customers rave about their knowledgeable staff, smooth investment process, and life-changing results, which you can see for yourself online. 
That's the kind of reputation you can count on. But it's not just about the reviews. Noble Gold Investments truly care about their clients. They take the time to understand your unique needs and goals, and they give expert guidance every step of the way. That level of personalized service is rare in this industry. Look, when it comes to securing your financial future, you can't afford to take chances. Go with the gold company that has earned the trust of countless investors. Visit noblegoldinvestments.com slash Tim Pool today and discover why Noble Gold Investments is the only choice for smart, secure gold investments. Or call them at 877-646-5347. Again, that's 877-646-5347. He goes on to say, After months of objections on Wednesday, the judge overseeing the grand jury process ordered us to testify, but limited the scope to simply confirm the accuracy of what was in the cover story and the article about the apartment. And so yesterday we did just that. I testified for about 20 minutes. This is fantastic. If you write something and asserted to be true, and a judge says, simply go there and tell everyone that you told the truth. I respect that journalists should be like, I wrote the truth. If they tried to reach beyond and say, give us privy off the record information, if it were me, I'd say no. And the judge would be like, you're being ordered, Mr. Poole, to tell us. And I would say no, I will not reveal sources information. And I respect off the record. There's challenges with the idea of off the record because sometimes there's bad people who do bad things. But if we're going to do the best we can at at being transparent, that means sometimes we protect sources who are concerned about certain information. Sometimes it's pertinent, sometimes it's not. But it is a challenge. It's a real ethical challenge. Now, I'll put it this way. It's not absolute. Off the record is not absolute. It is not. You can't just come to me and say, I did bad things, but that's off the record. I'll be like, bro, if you come to me with evidence of serious malfeasance, like if it's criminal, I'm going, I'm going to report it. I'm not, I'm going to be like, dude, I don't want have anything to do with this. Now, if someone comes to me and says, here's some things I can tell you on background, but please don't report that because it'll get my mom hurt. It'll get me hurt. But here's the important relevant information. I can respect that. If there are real concerns about people's security and safety, then yes, we respect off the record. And I'll, I'll be honest too. What you need to understand about something being off the record is that they'll just deny it. If someone comes to you and says, you know, I did X. And then you say, oh, wow, I'm going to report that. And they say, no, it's off the record. When you do, they just deny it and say, I have no idea what he's talking about. He's lying. So if you don't have confirmation on the record, you don't have confirmation of your story. And I'll be honest, too. If someone's not willing to come forward and say something on the record, I, I, I sometimes just don't believe that they actually are being genuine in that case. So here are some journalists who are also just confirming the grand jury is here. What did they testify to? They testified that Trump is obsessed with his net worth, that he wanted it to be higher, And thus, the argument is by inflating his net worth, the value of his properties, he's fraudulently securing loans for his properties or for more properties. Well, here's the nation. Here's what they think. They say Trump is going to be indicted for racketeering and fraud because of his financial crimes, and that will prevent him from being the Republican candidate. That's what David K. Johnston says. He's an award winning investigative reporter and his new book, The Big Cheat, How Trump Fleeced America and Enriched Himself and His Family. Also, Eric Foner and Henry Louis Gates talk about W.E.B. Dubois, the black historian and activist in the first part of the 20th century. So this is just basically a podcast, you know, uh, whatever. But the point, I think, is relatively clear. They're coming for Donald Trump. They, the people on the left genuinely believe the indictment will come. And I do believe the indictment will absolutely disrupt Trump's uh, campaign for 2024 
should it happen in the next two years? Or I should say in about a year. I mean, 2023 is the primary season. Trump's going to be announcing. We have another story. This one from TimCast.com. Photojournalist sues January 6th committee to block subpoena. Amy Harris argues the subpoena violates core protections afforded to journalists. We can see the January 6th committee is coming for everyone. There, there are no ethics. There are no morals. There is only a lust for power among these people. Which brings me to what they're really willing to do and how far they're willing to go to stop Donald Trump. January 6th committee admits to altering text message between Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan. Mark Meadows, they voted to hold him to refer him for contempt charges because he's refusing to cooperate with the January 6th committee. The January 6th committee, in my opinion, is the epitome of the uniparty of the vile scumbaggery that infects Congress. These are evil, nasty people. They leak private messages from people, many of which were out of context. Some where they claimed there were multiple messages and they spaced it out to make it seem like different statements were from different people when it was one person. And here we have one of the most deranged and despicable things. The January 6th committee altered text messages between Mark, Jim, that was from Jim Jordan to Mark Meadows, where Jim Jordan was quoting a lawyer. And the January 6th committee took out portions of the statement, added punctuation to change the framing because they lie. That's the length they're willing to go to stop Trump. The examiner says the January 6th committee admitted that a change to text message between former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and Rep. Jim Jordan, excluding relevant context about how they wanted then-Vice President Mike Pence to handle electoral votes. A spokesman said Wednesday that the new graphics, sorry, that the graphics Adam Schiff showed during a Monday night hearing about the newly obtained communications between Trump's officials and, and, you know, and Mark Meadows had been reformatted to support the view that Meadows wanted Pence to overturn the election results. Quote, the Senate, the select committee on Monday, created and provided Representative Schiff a graphic to use during the business meeting, quoting from a text messages from, the, from a lawmaker to Mr. Meadows. The graphic read, quote, on January 6, 2021, Vice President Mike Pence, as president of the Senate, should call out all electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional as no electoral votes at uh, unconstitutional as no electoral votes at all. In the graphic, the period at the end of that sentence was added inadvertently. The select committee is responsible for and regrets the error the error. Sorry, I don't believe that. The committee cut off half of a sentence and paragraphs of further information, then added a period and changed the format so it appeared to be a whole message. The Federalist first reported the full message was a short summary of a legal briefing Jordan forwarded from lawyer Joseph Schmitz to Meadows on January 5th, meaning that a lawmaker did not write the message at all. The committee spokesman provided the entire paragraph in the interests of transparency. On January 6, 2021, Vice President Mike Pence, as president of the Senate, should call out all the electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional as no electoral votes at all, in accordance with guidance from founding father Alexander Hamilton and judicial uh, precedents. Schmitz wrote, uh, Schmitz's original text read, no legislative act, wrote Alexander Hamilton in Federalist no seven, uh, number 78, contrary to the Constitution, can be valid. The court in Hubbard v. Lowe reinforced this truth. That an unconstitutional statute is not a law at all, uh, at all is a proposition no longer open to discussion. Appeal dismissed. Following this rationale, an unconstitutionally appointed elector, like an unconstitutionally uh, enacted statute, is no elector at all. People familiar with Jordan said they were suspicious of the messages because the representative tends to text with one or two words rather than paragraphs. Earlier this week, the January 6th committee vice chairman, chairwoman, Liz Cheney, 
presented samples of text messages from Trump allies, imploring then president to respond to the Capitol riot as it was unfolding. The amazing thing is they smear, uh, they, they smeared Laura Ingram, and they said that she was telling Trump to end this or to speak out against it while simultaneously claiming Antifa was behind it. Um, Laura Ingram has a series of tweets where she's like, this is bad. We must condemn this. It must not be allowed. So yeah, there were concerns that Antifa was there because there, one, there was one guy who was Antifa who was there. I don't think it was a coordinated effort by Antifa, but sure. Maybe many of these, these, these pundits or whatever got that wrong and, exa- and ex- exaggerated all that. By all means, criticize them if that's the case. But Telling me that Trump's inner circle and high profile conservatives opposed the riot and were calling on Trump to to condemn it does not sound like an insurrection to me, doesn't. So they debunked their own narrative. But let's just be real. They are going to I think they're going to indict him. They are going to do whatever it takes to stop Trump 2024. Newsweek reports Trump in inundated with over a dozen lawsuits. They want to drain his resources. Newsweek reports. Ex-President Donald Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, is suing his one-time boss, claiming retaliatory imprisonment over his return to federal uh, prison in 2019. Cohen alleges, that the, Cohen alleges that the decision to return him to prison was in retaliation for writing a memoir that was strongly critical of the former president. He's also seeking damages for extreme physical and emotional harm and violation of his First Amendment rights. The lawsuit is just the latest legal action taken against Trump, who is now dealing with more than a dozen cases, in addition to investigations that could result in further lawsuits. Here is a summary of the lawsuits against him. Capitol riot lawsuits, New York investigations, Mary Trump fraud suit, E. Jean Carroll defamation suit, misuse of inauguration funds, Georgia election interference, anonymous class action, NAACP alleged assault at Trump Tower, Westchester golf course, incitement on January 6th, and Trump's own lawsuits. You know, I think it's fair to say that Trump himself is certainly filing lawsuits, but all of these, you know, for for whatever they are, I'm not going to read into every single one. They show that Trump is going to be bogged down by, by as much as they can. Now, Republicans are standing by Trump for 2024. Republicans absolutely want him. And Democrats, for the most part, want Biden. Surprisingly, only around 60% of Democrats want Biden, which is the majority, but it's kind of sad that Joe Biden can't muster up any more support than that. We got a stink bug. Stink bug removed. The Hill reports, Republicans are standing by former President Trump for a 2024 presidential run, while most Democrats want President Biden to run again. The poll found 60% of Democrats want Biden to run for re-election, while 69% of Republicans want Trump to take another shot at the presidency. And I will also point that out. Trump's only getting 69% of Republicans in this poll. That's actually really surprising to me, but to a certain degree, not really. Look, Trump was not establishment, okay? Trump was anti-establishment. He challenged the machine, and a lot of people respected him for that. He was the avatar of the populist rage. But now people are seeing a DeSantis. They're seeing a new opportunity. And maybe, maybe that's the right call. Now, of course, I believe if Biden does run again, because most want him to, and Trump does run again, because most want him to, well, then they'll run. I don't think Biden could beat Trump again. I really don't. It's, it's remarkable to me that there are so many people unwilling to accept that Trump could lose. That's what's crazy to me. We've had we've had many people talk to us and say there's no way that, you know, Joe Biden got 81 million votes. Steve Bannon said it to me and I was like, why do you think that for a year locked in their homes, not being able to go out and see the movies, having no no social life, no sports. The only sport they had was politics. 
So yeah, I think they went out and they voted and they voted against Trump because they're playing team sports. I think that worked very well for the Democrats. Will that happen again this time around? No. And the reason I think that's the case is that the economy is in shambles. Afghanistan was a disaster. Ukraine's a disaster. China's a disaster. Southern border's a disaster. Joe Biden has backpedaled on many of his promises, particularly with progressives. I don't think, I don't think people are going to accept another Joe Biden presidency. So already they're talking about swapping him out. But here's the best part. We have this from Defiant L's on Twitter. Joe Biden tweets 220,000 deaths. If you hear nothing else I say tonight, hear this. Anyone who is responsible for that many deaths should not remain president of the United States. And then they have a tweet from Axios. Just in, U.S. COVID death toll tops 800,000. I, I, I'm pretty sure that um, the majority of COVID deaths are under Biden at this point, because last year it was 350K, and this year it's now like 450. So I think that's, that's Biden. I'm not going to blame Biden for the pandemic, but I think his, he's, he's failing in terms of leadership in this capacity. So as far as I can tell with what's going on, People are not going to look at Joe Biden and say, this worked out really well for us. No, they're going to say this worked out very poorly for us and we need change. We need something else. Newsweek says over half of Americans say they don't want to see Trump or Biden run again in 2024. Now, sure, if you look at those other polls, do Democrats want Trump to run? Most say yes. Do Democrats want Biden to run? Most say yes. And then when you take everyone else and say, should either of, the, uh, either of them run? Most of them say no. Now that's important. Newsweek reports, the poll, which, which was conducted by Echelon Insights, found that 55% of respondents don't want Trump to seek the presidency that year. And 54% said the same for Biden. Asked about Trump running again, 39% of respondents said they were in favor. 34 said they'd like to see Biden run again in 2024. In November, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked about Biden's plan to run for a second term. That's his intention. He would be, how old would he be, 86 when he got out of office in the second term? Is that, is that what he would be? He would be 86? Yeah. Is that right? Man. Wow. He's bad enough now. There's no way Biden is going to pull off a second term. While Trump has yet to officially announce a bid for the White House, he has suggested he plans to do so on numerous occasions. On numerous occasions. If you love the country, you have no choice, the former president said. In April, Trump told Fox Business News Maria Bartiromo that he is 100% considering another run for the presidency, adding that he thinks he will be very successful. I think so too. I think so too, but I'm not entirely sure. 64% said they were opposed to Biden running again. 29% were in favor. 58 said they don't want Trump to run again. 36% said the opposite. From FloridaPolitics.com. Let's see. Let's see. Ron DeSantis dominates another 2024 GOP primary poll sans Donald Trump. DeSantis, this is his chance. He might run. Um, I think I think he will. I, I'm not entirely sure. I think he will. And I think he'll be in the primary and it will show a robust primary. And I think Trump will still win the primary. Trump will go on to run. And I think Trump has a really good chance of winning. But you got to recognize, man, you can't under, underestimate your opponents. We're several years out and so much could change. So I'm actually, you know, I'll put it this way. I'm not entirely sure that Trump could win again. I personally lean towards that, but I'm not saying that's a 50% chance or greater. I honestly don't know. Florida says, Governor DeSantis continues to excite potential Republican voters in the 2024 presidential primary, especially if Trump doesn't run again. That's one takeaway from Echelon Insights. They say though 70% of the registered Republicans say they would probably or definitely vote for Trump if he runs again, 
DeSantis continues to build momentum should the former president not jump in. DeSantis is the choice of 30% of those surveyed for a lot of reasons. I like DeSantis. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S.? With more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S., they have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code POOL at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code POOL at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code POOL. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. But you got to understand, my friends, I am not a conservative, no matter how many and no matter what these leftists say, you know, Vosh recently did a video where I literally say he's reacting to a video of mine where I say systemic racism is real and we should abolish the police. And he goes, Tim Pool is a conservative. And of course, that means he's racist. And it's just like, do these people actually have ideas now with respect to Vosh? He was actually defending me quite a bit in relation to that. I'll just put it here on Twitter. You can see that that I'm trending. OK, you know, it happens. But uh, it's remarkable to me that that's the world we live in. No, my friends, we are moderate. We are fairly moderate libertarian types. Many of us lean uh, center right. Many of us lean center left. My politics are a little bit center left, like I'm in favor, staunchly in favor of universal basic health care, basic health care. That means we would not abolish private health care. And it would mean a lot of procedures would require private health insurance. But it means that some basic stuff would be generally covered, like you could walk in and you don't got to worry about a broken hand or getting the flu or something like that. Insulin. We don't want people dying in the street over that stuff. So I say we cover a lot of it. But when you're dealing with advanced cancers and stuff, you need private supplemental insurance. If you're dealing with catastrophic injuries that require multiple surgeries and stuff, you're going to need private insurance. But that is very clearly a modern center left position. The difference, I suppose, we don't believe in the mainstream narratives. Let me show you what Pew Research has to say about where we are. Beyond red versus blue, the political typology. I do love that people who don't actually watch any of my content don't understand that we frequently dive into the nuance of the political atmosphere, that we talk about the difference between the progressive leftists, the establishment liberals and outsiders and dirtbags and all that stuff. The dirtbag left, the progressive left, the populist right, the establishment right, the Christian right. We talk about it all the time. Leftists love guns. Establishment liberals don't, but they side together on many things. Well, this is really interesting. This is an article from Pew breaking down these different groups. And let me read something to you. They say progressive left and establishment liberals, progressive left, the only majority white non-Hispanic group of Democrats have very liberal views on virtually every issue and support far-reaching changes to address racial injustice and expand the social safety net. Establishment liberals, while just as liberals as many, are far less persuaded of the need for sweeping change. They're going to say there's Democrat mainstays and the outsider left, but there's two groups I find very interesting. The ambivalent right, the youngest and least conservative GOP-aligned group, 
hold conservative views about the size of government, the economic system and issues of race and gender. But they are the only group on the political right in which majorities favor legal abortion and say marijuana should be legal for recreational and medical use. They are also distinct in their views about Donald Trump. While the majority voted for him in 2020, most say they would prefer he not continue to be a major political figure. That's really fascinating. So much of that does align with my positions and maybe yours. However, I don't know where I end up on this list because I actually am not conservative on issues of racial injustice. I'm just not far left. This is why I've often said I'm not a classical liberal the way they describe it. I'm a traditional. I'm sorry, I'm a social liberal. Social liberals. I think it was good that we were like, hey, you shouldn't be allowed to do redlining and blockbusting. I think it's good that we are like, hey, we shouldn't have policies based on race. Those were that's what civil rights fought for. I'm the kind of person that looks at California, the progressives. They wanted to they tried to uh, repeal their civil rights provision in their constitution. I said that is wrong. We should say you can't discriminate on the basis of race. I think it is good that businesses must uh, must provide public accommodation to everyone and they can't make arbitrary decisions about who they boot from their business. It's tough because I would say I lean very much in the libertarian spectrum away from government intervention. But I also think that while the government is mostly bad, there's a lot of it that's that's good. And if we're all in a uh, uh, if we live in a, in a in a community and we're all paying taxes that go towards infrastructure, you should not be able to not to, to deny certain people access to the infrastructure they contribute to. Now, of course, more libertarian right individuals would probably say they shouldn't be forced to tax this anyway. And I, and I certainly understand and agree with that. Absolutely. I think we have everything has to be voluntary. That's why it's libertarian and left. I'm not saying that people should be forced to do these things. I'm saying quite the opposite. I'm saying that's the ideal to strive for. And we'll have to work really hard to convince people. And if we don't, well, then, you know, I don't know. Too bad, I guess. We just won't we won't succeed in that regard. But that's a more left position, I suppose. So where does everyone fall? Well, I'll tell you this. Stressed sideliners are people who are typically not uh, uh, politically engaged. What I'm really interested in is the, is the uh, outsider left. And I think we have it right here. The outsider left, the youngest typology group, voted overwhelmingly for Joe Biden a year ago and are very liberal in most of their views. But they are deeply frustrated with the political system, including the Democratic Party and its leaders. I like the outsider left. They just voted for Joe Biden, though, and they basically propped up the crony Goldman Sachs establishment, which is mind blowing to me. So I don't know exactly where I would fall. I'd assume many of you might fall in the stressed sideliners or ambivalent right category. But I think it's missing a large group of people. The ambivalent right, I think, basically describes what our group uh, is. But it's weird that they would say it's the ambivalent right only because they're GOP aligned. I don't think saying GOP aligned is fair to be completely honest. I don't like the Republican Party at all, but I like Rand Paul, I like a couple people. There are some there, there are many people I support. I supported more Democrats last time around than than Republicans. And uh, I don't know. I don't I don't know where we fall uh, in terms of our political views. What does it mean to be right wing that you were just talking about Republican versus Democrat? Well, I don't like most Republican policies, but I don't like wokeism. I don't like authoritarianism. So voting Republican is basic. It's not about liking the GOP. No, I, I despise them for the most part. But I don't want critical race praxis in schools or in government. I don't want racism. So isn't that a left position on race? I'll tell you this. If opposing racism 
is a right wing position. And so be it. Because the left, in my opinion, has become overtly, overtly racist. And you need, you need only look at that member segment from TimCast.com with R.A. the Rugged Man to see that I, I believe he is an unrepentant racist. I'm not trying to come down on the guy because we hugged it out. But I will give my opinion on what I think of, of his ideas. That he would say, Your, you experiencing racism is completely irrelevant, and he would laugh at it. He claims he doesn't like racism, but he would laugh in the face of people saying, my family was attacked by white supremacists. He says, I don't care. And I don't believe you. So what? Too bad. That's life, he said. And my res- I respond to them. I agree with you. I agree with you. Tell all the people who complain about racism, they're being snowflakes and to grow up. That's just life. But I'll tell you this. If that's what left is, it makes no sense. This is the problem I face. I have always opposed people being judged based on their race. Always. I have always opposed massive corporations seizing the commons. That used to be the left. Today, I find myself to the left of, of, say, Vosh and Hassan, people who claim to be leftists. Let me just tell you, nothing makes sense. I don't know who I'd end up voting for. I'll tell you this. Dave Smith. But here's the real challenge for us. The lesser of two evils idea. If Ron DeSantis says we're going to get rid of the lockdowns and we're going to end critical race praxis in our institutions, we have to support it, right? But there's a hard line for me, too. It depends on what his other policies are. And if his policies are bad, traditional Republican GOP trash, and he wants to go to war, I'm not playing that game. Not at all. So I can't tell you for sure where we're headed. I can tell you that there is no, none of this politics stuff makes any sense. There's, there's liberals, and there's conservatives, there's progressives, and there's, you know, populist right-wingers, and then there's whatever we are, a mix of a bunch of different types, people who agree, people who disagree. I don't know. I don't know, man. I really don't. You know what I think? There's two tribes. That's it. Those who believe the establishment narrative and those who don't. That's it. So I can sit here all day and be like, man, systemic racism is a problem. I did a documentary about it. I know exactly how it functions. And I can have people on the right saying, I don't believe that exists. Yet we get along. Why? Because I actually fact check. And that's it. The left doesn't want to do it. They just say, I know, I know, I know. And that's every debate I've had. I guess fascinating to me, you know, when Vosh did that video defending me to, to, for the most part, but then he just outright says, I am conservative. And that, and that, and that is an improvement with all due respect to Vosh. Again, he was, he was defending me and I think it was respectable. I think he, he, he did a good job. I'd like him to watch the full video. He started off by calling me far right when he came on the show to now just say a conservative. We're making improvements, guys. But I think what needs to happen is we need to have more of these conversations. And I think the people who watch videos from Vosh need to actually watch our show. Yesterday, when, we, when, when I was talking with R.A. the Rugged Man, I said, systemic racism is real. Black people in this country have, have faced systemic racism and have it substantially worse than I ever will as a mixed race person. And as a mixed race person, I find intersectionality to make a good amount of sense in that I experience racism in a unique way. But I don't like the authoritarian application of, these pra- of, this, of this praxis, and I don't like that they would tell white people that their struggle doesn't matter simply because they're white. That's wrong to me because it's just more racism. You can disagree with that last point. But if we agree on 75% of that, how do we move forward when you don't watch my videos, when you don't watch my show, and then you just say that means Tim Pool's a conservative? I just want to solve problems and make people come together. But a lot of people don't. So how do we solve for this? I don't know. But I'll end by saying there's dirty games afoot. They seek to crush Donald Trump. They don't want him to run again. I don't know, man. These are tough times. 
The hyperpolarization is bad. So I leave it to you guys to decide. I don't want to be in charge of anybody. I don't want to be the arbiter of truth and morality for anybody ever. I'll tell you what I think and what I believe. And I'm wrong enough. You should decide. You should choose what's right for you. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up tonight at 8 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastirl. Thanks for hanging out. And I'll see you all then. This is becoming a really hard subject to talk about because it's the same story. It's the same thing. And that's really bad. The story is 103 Marines have been booted for refusing COVID vaccine as services begin discharges. Up to 30,000 service members remain unvaccinated and could face the same fate. I don't understand how we're supposed to be dealing with a crisis where the news changes every day and we have no idea what we're supposed to think or know. Dr. Fauci comes out and says, you know, one thing one day, one thing the next day. We were told in some news reports that the vaccine, if you have three shots, will will stop Omicron. Now we're, we're hearing it actually won't, but you should still get it anyway. How is a service, a Marine, a service man or woman, or, or the Marines in this instance, how are they supposed to know what to do? And the reason why I say this is becoming a really difficult subject to talk about is that it just keeps happening. We know there are problems. We know that the, the, the science we have, the data, hasn't been completely released. That's uh, Pfizer wants to hold on to this data for decades, like, a, like several generations, actually. But everything keeps changing. What's worrying to me is this is the death by a thousand cuts, I guess. You know, I, I find myself looking at these stories and just being like, I, I don't want to do a segment on this. I don't, I don't care. It's the same thing. You've heard it before. You'll hear it again. And does that mean that this is the new normal. Yeah. And that's the problem with it. And that's why I ultimately decided that we should talk about this, or at the very least, I should do a segment on it, even though it's mind-numbingly boring to hear that this stuff keeps happening. I just, it's exhausting, you know? It feels like nothing's changing. It feels like it's not news. It's not relevant, but it is extremely relevant, especially as we're learning up to 30,000 service members remain unvaccinated and could face the same fate. I want to come back to the story because I think this one's the most important, but I think there's very important context to explain perhaps some of the, the attitudes of those who are not getting the vaccine, who are uh, in the military or otherwise. This is a story we got just the other day. CDC panel to consider limits on use of J&J vaccine due to blood clot issues in some recipients. Now, I want to, I want to make sure I can break down some of the false framing that's been going around outside of, you know, and, and on some websites. Some, some people have claimed they're recommending people not use it. Well, they're recommending a, over it. The, the, the CDC wants people to use, uh, to get the Moderna and Pfizer vaccine because there is a, a chance that the J&J vaccine can cause blood clots. I think that's very important context. It's very different from some of the articles that are like, just don't do it. No, no, no. They didn't, they didn't say that. They didn't say that. But this story is important because many people have complained about the blood clot fears. It's been a, a re- recurring trend on uh, the, the Donald Trump forums over at Patriots.win. They call it the clot shot. And, and now we have months later, the CDC saying these are issues that we're concerned about. So we're going to recommend the use of the other vaccines. Now, if you were to come out and make that joke or say, say you know, call it the clot shot or whatever, you'd be banned in two seconds. How about now? I don't know. I'm not saying that. I, I always, you know, they, they call me, Tim, talk to your Dr. Poole. There's a lot of things I think you should talk to other people about. I recently d- deleted a tweet because I felt like it sounded too much like financial advice. And I'm like, I just don't want to be responsible for anybody, man. I don't want to be in charge of anybody. I don't want anybody coming to me saying, you told me to do this, man. 
there's a few areas where I feel like I'm an expert enough in, uh, on certain things where I can give advice. And that's just typically freedom. And that's why I often say that not science, not finance, but freedom. Stand up for your rights before you lose them. I got no problem saying that. And I got no problem telling people you could lose everything. You really, really could. These Marines are standing up for what they believe in and they're going to be discharged. It'll be interesting. I think some people are saying they should be honorably discharged. I think it's an administrative discharged or a medical one. So it's not like it's all bad. But let me give you this context first, because I think for those that aren't familiar with what's going on, this might help you understand why there are people who are saying they are not going to get the vaccine. From TimCast.com, an advisory panel at the Center for Dis- uh, Centers for Disease Control, is ca- uh, the CDC, is considering new restrictions or warnings on using the COVID vaccine from Johnson & Johnson over fears the injections can cause blood clot issues in a small number of recipients. Quote, the single dose vaccine has been linked to a rare and severe type of blood clot which halted its use for about 10 days in April as federal health officials looked more closely at six women who experienced the problem. The only known cases among the more than 7 million people who received the vaccine in the U.S. at that time. One of the women died. The pause was lifted after an extensive safety review that determined the vaccine's benefit outweighed the risks. This is very important for people to understand. This is not a secret. The CDC has said this over and over again. They understand Vaccines can have adverse events, adverse reactions. Sometimes people die. However, the way the CDC has explained it to me, like I actually sat down several years ago about Zika with uh, one of the highest ranking dudes at the CDC. And we talked about these viruses and vaccines. and And what he basically said was a lot of people don't trust vaccines because of the adverse events, because of the adverse reaction possibilities. However, They don't deny that's a reality. What they're saying is if the virus will kill, say, 100,000 people, but the vaccine will kill 1,000 people, then they think the vaccine is worth it. It's a utilitarian viewpoint. But you'll end up with a lot of people who are more individualist or have a more deontological view and feel that you cannot force, you, you can't take this action against an individual and the individual has a right to choose. And therein lies a very real, real issue. A lot of people who view, uh, they, they look at the COVID mortality rate and they say it's just not worth it. It's not worth taking any risks, no matter, you know, just because the CDC says the risks, uh, I'm sorry, the risks, uh, the benefits outweigh the risks doesn't mean an individual has to make that same choice. Now, I can't tell you because I'm not a doctor. You have different risk factors. That's why I oppose the mandates. There's two big reasons. One, I believe in freedom for the individual. And I also believe that someone who's 65 and overweight has a very different set of risk factors than someone who's 35 and fit. Now, I will tell you this. I genuinely believe had I not received monoclonal antibodies, I would have been in the ICU. And I'm not exaggerating. That's how bad this was. So I think y'all should take it seriously. That's what Joe told me to do. And, and, the, and the media likes to make fun of him because what he, he tells me to do is not to ignore it, man. Not to, not, don't sit around. Go talk to somebody. Find somebody who's going to get you the treatment. Here's what he did. And I had a doctor out here, out here, say this is the protocol we want to use. And I, I'm eternally grateful for all of that. I was in bad shape. I think y'all should take this one seriously. Not everybody's in bad shape. Some people don't even notice. Some people get the sniffles, but not me, man. And don't ask me. I don't know why. Some people have said it could be because uh, Asian people have more ACE2 receptors. I know I'm not 100% Asian or whatever, but maybe that was a factor in why I got really sick. And that's, again, why I say you are not me. You do not have the same genetics as me, the same ACE2 receptors, none of that stuff. So I'm not going to tell you what you should be doing. And what people need to understand about these mandates, you know, for Marines or otherwise, is that you as a collective force, as the public, as the people, as those voting, 
You are enforcing a medication on other people. It's the government. We say the government, but let's be real. The government is comprised of, for, and by the people. Now, I'll be the first to say elites are in control of it and have been for some long time. But there are people voting for this, putting their, their, their uh, voting power, their monetary power, their political power behind forcing other people to get a medical treatment that might not be right for them. So I think you got to make the decision for yourself like these Marines. ABC News reports 103 Marines have been discharged for refusing to take the COVID vaccine. The Marine Corps said Thursday, as military services have begun to discharge a pool of possibly as many as 30,000 active duty service members who still refuse to be vaccinated, even after multiple opportunities to do so past vaccination deadlines. In late August, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin ordered mandatory COVID vaccines for all U.S. military personnel. Shortly after Austin made the COVID vaccine mandatory, the military services quickly set up its own deadline dates and warned service members they could face discharge unless they were vaccinated, which is in line with the Pentagon's stance that choosing to remain unvaccinated is a violation of a lawful order from Austin. I believe that's not correct. There was a uh, court ruling that said you can't mandate a vaccine that is not FDA approved. There you go. I don't believe uh, any of the of the vaccines are FDA approved. I know that uh, Pfizer BioNTech's community vaccine has been approved, but I don't believe the courts view that as I believe they do view it as legally distinct. This is why I just tell you, man, you got to you got to talk to a medical professional, but you also need to make sure you know what you're 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 you're, you're looking into and you're asking about. So the big controversy was that when uh, Pfizer, the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine right now is under emergency use authorization. They got an FDA approval for their brand version, Community, which they say is functionally identical. However, there are differences. And because of that, I think, uh, I don't have it pulled up, so you have to fact check this one. There was a judge who said, you can't mandate what's, what's you know not FDA approved. So this is, I suppose, one of the issues here. They say, while the percentage of vaccinated active duty personnel in each service is 95% or higher, the number of unvaccinated personnel is close to 30,000. Earlier this week, the Air Force became the first to make public that it had followed through on the warning announcing that 27 airmen had received administrative discharges. According to the latest numbers provided by the Air Force and the Navy, 7,365 airmen, 5,472 sailors are unvaccinated, either refusing the vaccine outright or awaiting the processing of requests for administrative, medical or religious exemptions. I will say this. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's, there's, a lot of people have pointed this out. I've said this. When you join the, 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 the military, whatever branch, you get a ton of vaccines. So they, the, I was, the, the way it was told to me is that in basic training, they have you like walk up and then they give you a shot and then they wipe you down and then you walk forward again and then someone gives you a shot and they just give you all these different vaccines, probably like yellow fever. It's probably like, you know, typhus, a tetanus booster, all that stuff. However, in response to that, people pointed out that you can't mandate something that is not FDA approved, even the military. So this is where things get interesting. And I have to, and if that's the case, and we're in a really dangerous position here because people in, are being discharged over this. Their lives are being changed. And more importantly, 
media outlets and everything, all of this, they're just reporting to our adversaries that our, our armed forces is being crippled by people who are unwilling to undergo the vaccine and who are leaving. They're going to mention the Marine Corps said Thursday, 95% of its active duty force of 182,000 Marines have received at least one vaccine shot, the lowest percentage among the military services. The Marine Corps has approved 1,007 medical and administrative exemptions and is still processing 2,863 of the 3,144 requests. Military, military personnel serving in the, in the United States had already been required to receive 12 vaccines, measles, polio, anth- anthrax, chickenpox, flu, in order to serve. Service members assigned overseas were required, to see, were required to receive up to five others, like those for yellow fever or encephalitis, depending on the global region they were assigned to. While the, while the army announced Thursday that nearly 98% of its 478,000 active duty soldiers had been vaccinated, that means close to 10,000 soldiers are not. The army said 3,864 soldiers have refused the vaccine outright, while an additional 6,263 are awaiting the processing of their request for an exemption. The majority of service members who remain unvaccinated have sought religious exemptions, but none of the service services have yet to approve an exemption on religious grounds. The defense authorization bill passed by Congress this week guarantees that service members who are kicked out of the military for refusing the vaccine will receive either an honorable, honorable discharge or a general discharge under honorable conditions. Hey, good. That's on them. That's it. That's on the, 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 the armed forces, man. So, so let me explain something. And most of you, I think, probably understand this, but for those maybe don't, imagine you're in the armed forces or let's say you're a nurse. Let's say you worked in the federal government. Let's say you worked at an airline and they said you must be vaccinated. And so you went to uh, get your vaccine and they said, Johnson and Johnson, one and done. And you said, okay. And you got that vaccine. There's two things to consider now that I think are worrying. One, that they're saying the efficacy of the vaccines has waned and now you'll need booster shots. That if you got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, two months later, you need a booster shot. So many of these people who got vaccinated back in January, are they still uh, cleared? At what point are they going to be like, doesn't count anymore? Now, more importantly, the CDC is considering uh, advisors will consider limits on the vaccine over blood clot issues. So you look, it's a fact that there's no long term studies on these vaccines. That is not to disparage them as vaccines. It's just to point out they're new. They were they were produced very quickly under Operation Warp Speed, and people have concerns about that. And now about a year later, since we started seeing these vaccines roll out just about a year, we're now learning that the definition of fully vaccinated is going to change. We're learning that they're going to they're, they've issued some advisory, there's some concerns about the Johnson and Johnson vaccine that they're saying you should mix and match boosters and do all this other stuff. So how is that going to build confidence in someone who said, "I'm going to wait and see," and now they see this? I don't know, man. But I can tell you more companies are starting to abandon this. From CN, um, from NBC News, growing number of companies suspend vaccine mandates, including hospitals and Amtrak. Facing a labor shortage, some healthcare systems and federal contractors are temporarily lifting the requirements. One physician called the move absurd. I'm sure he did. But Amtrak was faced with very serious disruptions of its service. And they said, if we implement this, we shut down train services, we delay trains, and everything is just disrupted. So can't do it. NBC says a growing number. We, we, we read that in the, in, the, in the headline. The move follows court rulings in recent weeks that paused its requirements from the Biden administration for healthcare workers and federal contractors. Still, the decision about whether to require vaccination remained up to individual employers. The mandates are being suspended at a precarious time. Many employers face labor shortages while COVID cases are surging 
and the highly mutated Omicron variant is spreading the highly mutated. Oh, heavens. Sufficient staffing has been hard to maintain in hospitals, which were already contending with a dearth of nurses and other workers before the pandemic. Burnout has further exacerbated shortages. One of the things that we've seen in the healthcare industry was that uh, nurses were quitting, not because of the mandates, but because they said we could not handle it. ICUs are, are filling up. This is interesting to me. I wonder if the uh, mortality rate would be much, much higher for COVID if we did not have these ICU beds. And honestly, I think the answer is yes. I think we underestimate how technology can, can uh, change our view of a disease itself. One of the things people need to understand is that crime, people say that, uh, you know, oh, violent crime is going down because murders are way down. And what people need to realize is that technically murders are way down, but it's because of cell phones. Attempted murders, I, be, I, I could be getting, the, it depends on where you are, but attempted murders are, are, are high. And violent crime has surged in the past year. Now, I think overall violent crime has been decreasing, but people need to understand the reason the stats show a rapid decrease is because if someone gets attacked, someone else picks up their phone, their cell phone right in their pocket and calls 911. Before the advent of cell phones, this wasn't the case. And if you were seriously injured in a fight or a mugging or something, you might die. You were more likely to. So what happens is people's lives get saved because of cell phones. No joke, because of cell phones. And then people look at the crime stats and say, wow, crime is down. And it's like, mm, it might actually be just as dangerous as it's always been. But now you have a cell phone to help you to get the, 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 the paramedics there in time if you're bleeding out or something. I think the same thing is true for, for, for uh, any other illness. We have excellent hospitals and ICU beds. So people are getting sick with this disease and then they go to the hospital. This is why we wanted to slow the spread. Now, the problem here is across the board, none of that necessarily matters when you look at Florida. Florida's uh, cases are, are the lowest in the country, and they have a very, very different protocol for this. So I certainly think that locking down everybody over fear of overloading the ICUs, I, I understand that for sure. But I think people should be looking to what Florida has been doing because they didn't lock down. And it may actually be that the lockdowns are making things worse. Can't believe we're still talking about this, and it's been almost two years. You know, when we uh, uh, every night when we're getting ready for Timcast IRL, Luke, he'll come up and have a bunch of stories and I'll have a bunch of stories. And I've been avoiding a lot of the COVID stuff because it's it's redundant. It's repetitive. Been there, done that, heard it before. Oh, that's happening again. And so it's like protests, riots erupting in Europe and Australia. And I'm like, bro, we, we've covered th those stories so much. Like, what more do we say about it? And the other issue, too, is Alec Baldwin. The Alec Baldwin story search warrant on his phone. And I'm like, we have talked about that story so much that it's just getting tiring talking about the same thing. But I will tell you two things. The reason why we, we were leading yesterday with the Alec Baldwin story is because I thought it was really important they were serving a search warrant on it. This one on, on, on IRL. Because what you need to understand is they, they've, my view of the whole Alec Baldwin thing is that they're doing, they, they did a crisis management, manipulated news to try and obfuscate and, and, and strike the story down. And now they're slow rolling out boring tidbits. And what's happening is eventually people are going to say, I don't care about this anymore. And then once that happens and they forget about it, Alec Baldwin walks. The same thing is true for what's going on with CDC and all this stuff. We can't let news burnout happen to us. We can't let these stories become normal. We have to make sure we're saying this is not what we accept. I think you, when you're seeking advice for how your life is going to be, should look to the experts in those fields. For me, it ain't finance and it ain't medical, but it is political. 
I can tell you, you got to stand up. You got to vote in your local elections. You got to vote in the primaries. You got to make sure that you are ignoring the haters telling you not to vote, that it's impossible. You just go and vote because it does matter. That's politics. I can tell you advice on that. I can tell you to stand up for yourself and that may put you at great risk. But you need to recognize that too, that you have to have that responsibility. But man, I can tell I can tell you that when it comes to these mandates, we need to make sure that we're not going to let the new normal take over, especially at a time when we're dealing with this crisis in Ukraine. They would actually consider discharging Marines and up to 30,000 other service members. You know what? Then then the United States deserves the collapse, because if we're going to lose our armed forces to a great degree, if we're going to have an economic crisis, if people are going to be fired from their jobs, this country is falling apart. You know, I, I don't know how else to say it, and a lot of people don't like to hear it. But with the, the inflation, the wholesale pricing index at 10%, like I mentioned before, Max Kaiser saying he believes inflation is around 15. The consumer price index is nearly, what, 7? 7% over, over last year? Dude, your dollar's value is collapsing. People are being booted from the military. Cities are, are locking down like crazy. New York City just did just rapidly escalated their vax mandates. Now you need two shots. Now kids got to have them. There's videos of people standing outside of businesses with clipboards, taking your IDs. People are letting this happen. And we know where this goes. Those that do not remember history are doomed to repeat it. We have seen this before, and I love it. When we talk about Weimar Germany or the Civil War, people say that, that'll never happen because they look at history and they see the worst of the worst. They don't realize that it took escalation to get to that point. Now, maybe we don't see the actual conflict in our lifetimes. It's 2021. There's a pandemic. No great world war just yet. But we are, as they say, in the fourth turning. There will people seem to think that when it comes to history, you wake up one day and there's a shot heard around the world. That someone made that move that everyone recognized was the start of some conflict, but that's never been the case. You know, in that article I was reading from uh, Charles M. Blow, he references this dude 11 years before the Civil War who defended slavery and said people view him as the as the father of secession, even though, you know, what he he died. 11, I think he died 11 years before the Civil War. What is happening today will influence tomorrow. What is what happened yesterday will influence today. This is a fact. And if you think that where we are now, as we build the steps towards the, you know, the edge of the cliff where, where, where we may jump off, where we may avert it, what we are seeing throughout this country is, is, is bringing us in one direction. And that's calamity. But maybe, we, maybe it won't. Maybe we'll avert it somehow. I just don't see it. I do not see. Did you guys watch the Timcast IRL show last night? Did you watch the, 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 the members only podcast? Things got hot. You know, I think uh, we had R.A. the Rugged Man on. I think he's a really good dude. I do. And I think uh, uh, we just we just we have extreme disagreements on politics to the point where there's no reconciliation. And that's a fact. We hugged it out. I apologized. I felt bad for raising my voice to him. And I did. And uh, and he got heated and he apologized, too. He said I shouldn't have done that. And, and I take full responsibility for raising my voice and getting mad first. And then he 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 stood up and I don't even want to talk about it too much, but the point I want to make here is when we sit down and I sit down with someone like him and, and, and I say, here's my view and here's the problem. He says, I don't care. He says, you are doing bad to what I believe. And then it results in us just getting to that point. If we can agree to disagree, if we can still hug it out, 
But in the end, there's no ideological reconciliation. That's what worries me. I'll give a little optimism there, though. You know, I, I we, in the member segment, I started, uh, I raised my voice and he said, don't yell at me. And he says, because he, he was not the guy who was going to sit there and take it. And then I said, yeah, you are. You're that guy. And he got mad about it. I shouldn't have said that. And all these people on Twitter, man, they're, they're, they're putting up the clip saying what's happening and all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, it happened. Yes, I uploaded it because I feel like I don't, I don't, I don't whitewash this stuff. But a lot of people aren't sharing the part where I said, I'm sorry for raising my voice, man. And he said, no, I'm sorry, too. And then we hugged for a good 15, 20 seconds. And I said, I just said, I just don't think racism is going away. I don't want to get here with anybody. I don't want to fight with anybody. But I felt like after that conversation, I felt very pessimistic. With all due respect to Rugged Man, because we know we, 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 we hugged it out. If he's going to tell me that he doesn't care about my experiences and the suffering that my family's been through. And my family literally fought in the civil rights era because he cares more about one race. I'm like, then racism is persistent and won't stop. We need to pay attention to that stuff. I'm not going to, maybe I'll do a bigger segment on all of that stuff, but I'll leave it there because this one's about the vaccine and where we're headed. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out and I'll see you all then. Last night, we had a guest a very famous, legendary rapper, R.A. the Rugged Man. And I think that's probably the best way to explain. He's worked with a lot of really uh, top stars. He himself has had songs everywhere. And uh, notably, he had a song in Tony Hawk's Underground, which I'm familiar with. And uh, Luke Rutkowski, uh, who's on the show, said we should definitely get him. And we did. And we had a very contentious uh, uh, show, very, very deep debate, people raising their voices, a lot of arguing. It was, it was off the rails a little bit. That was on YouTube. Uh, the episode is now on Rumble and, uh, uh, you know, it's on all podcast platforms. Basically, we, we put it everywhere. It's no longer on YouTube. But there's a clip going viral. I am now trending on Twitter. I think I was trending at like number 13 last I checked. And I don't really want to have to get into all this stuff, but I think I really should talk about what happened and why Tim Pool and R.A. the Rugged Man and everyone's talking about us because I kind of feel like it's early in the morning when I'm recording this. I'm recording this almost first thing. And uh, I have a feeling that as the day goes on, people are going to be hungry for news and they're going to start uh, making clips about this. They're going to start writing articles about this. So I'll just I'll address it outright and I'll make one thing clear. Um, first, let me explain. A lot of people are sharing the clip. We have a clip here from Shoe on Head. This clip is not from a YouTube video. It is from TimCast.com where we have the TimCast IRL members podcast. It's about a half an hour, Monday through Thursday. We do it after the show, and it's typically more, more it's, 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 our, it's our not family-friendly version. I don't think our opinions are all that different. We just talk about things that aren't as family-friendly on that show. On that show, I got into a very heated argument. I raised my voice. I yelled at, at RA, talking over him. He said, don't do that. Things got heated. He stood up, slapped the mic, and a lot of people, it's crazy to me that people think they're, they're, they're playing it up way more than I think they should. I'll, I'll be honest, it was, one, it, was the, it was the most intense conversation we've ever had on TimCast IRL, or the members show. Uh, on IRL itself, we were arguing with this guy about critical race theory and wokeness and Kyle Rittenhouse and Ovid Arbery and all that stuff. And his view was that we were, you know, racists who were defending white people, and we were trying to diminish the black struggle and all that stuff. And I completely disagree. And for my, uh, my side of the argument, and we'll get into a lot of what's going on in a second, um, was that we, we absolutely recognize the struggles of the black community, of the Latino community, of the Asian community, of, of the white community, and recognize they're different. 
And it's funny because that's intersectionality, or at least a certain, to a certain degree. And so I, I explained to him many times, and, and, and I'll, again, I'll get into all the deeper context on this stuff, that um, I don't completely disagree with everything they say. I just disagree with the authoritarianism and the collectivism. But let me say one thing, first and foremost, okay, to address the controversy for those that are familiar. Ari the Rugged Man is a cool dude. He's a good dude. And he is a legend. I'm not even, and a lot of people are posting things like, who is even this guy? Bro, who is even this guy? Who, uh, go look him up, man. All right, the rugged man. I am, I am honored that he came on my show in the first place. I'm honored that he came in and had this conversation with us. And I did not think for a second things had gotten out of control. People want to, the people posting stuff being like, this guy was acting a fool and all stuff. Yeah, bro, he shouldn't have slapped the mic. But yo, I shouldn't have raised my voice at him and then insulted him. You know, we got heated, but not for one moment did I think things were out of control. I just thought we got heated. There's people on the left being like, look at Tim. He refuses to back down. I'm like, I didn't think there was anything to back down from. I lowered my voice. Why? Because I felt bad for raising it in the first place. I wasn't scared that R.A. was going to walk over here and slap me or anything because I think R.A. is a good dude. You get mad sometimes. Let me, let me, let me, let me explain this to all the people who are claiming that they believe R.A. was go- we stood up. And he was going to like, and, and I was scared he was going to attack me or something. Or the people who are saying that I was brave for not flinching or whatever. I'm like, here's what you guys got to understand. At no point, at no point during this, did I feel that R.A. was a threat to me or anyone else. Why? R.A. got mad. I got mad too. R.A. got up and slapped the mic. But I know he's a good dude. We were hanging, we hang out before the show. We talk about this stuff. People get heated sometimes just because he got mad and he's and he and he's and he slapped the mic doesn't mean I felt like he was going to hurt anybody. So there's no reason for me to get up from my chair or be like, that's your wrong, get mad. No, I kind of felt like, yo, I just insulted this guy and he's mad. Like, that's not cool. We're not being productive doing this. Now, I'll be honest. I felt insulted, too. That's why I got mad. And that's why he got mad. But I don't see why anyone like, I don't know, man, I, I think people want to hype this up and sensationalize it and make it seem like this something bad was going to happen. But I want to explain to you guys who R.A. is, because I know a lot of people don't know who he is. And a lot of people use that as a point of like uh, 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 to make a derogatory statement. You know, people on the show were like, who is this guy even? Look, look, I know you guys know who I am. But when we got him, I was very I was excited. Look at this. He's worked with with Mob Deep, Wu-Tang, Cool G Rap, Notorious B.I.G. He's got a song. Look at this. Tony Hawk's Underground. I know this song. So I was like, cool, man. Let's have a conversation. R.A.'s got a bunch of anti-establishment, anti-media, anti, you know, uh, like, uh, I want to say authoritarian uh, videos. But I'll tell you, I really do feel like right now, look at this. You can see Tim Pool's trending on Twitter. I just feel like uh, uh, he's very much in the woke establishment narrative of things. So let me just simplify everything, break everything down real quick give you an update on what's going on. And then I want to talk philosophy and ideas and what's, and what's, what's, all, what's all about. The quick of the, sto- the, the gist of the story is, all right, the rugged man came on the show. We started by talking about Alec Baldwin. We started by talking about liberals starting to buy guns, which turned into him talking about Kyle Rittenhouse. And he said, y'all call him a hero and all this and that. And I was like, no, we don't. A lot of people do. I understand why they do. I don't agree because I don't like the conflict, but I don't know how you solve for the problems of, you know, I said, like, look, for three days, you got to understand the context. You know, they, they bash a guy in the face. And he's like, yeah, I know. I saw that stuff. And I'm like, so what do you think? You know, like, what would you do? And he's like, I wouldn't call a 17 year old kid out. And I'm like, bro, we didn't disagree on these things. And that's where things got really heated. 
I feel like RA had a view of us based on a stereotype of those who are anti-woke. And this is very, very common among the woke left. They assume that Tim Cast IRL is the same show where, where we all, the same regurgitated stereotype, right wing opinions. When I literally, we were t- I'll give you an example. Feel free to disagree with me. Comment. I said, we're the transgender swimmer, Leah Thomas, right? Here's an example of where we are very much in the middle on these things. We don't uh, uh, just play right wing narrative stuff, though I, I, I would say, obviously, whatever the left views itself as, we are not in that cultural camp. Uh, with Leah Thomas, I said, she followed all the rules, the transgender swimmer. No one spoke up about it. How am I supposed to get mad about people not speaking up when they when, when these are the rules and the person's following all the rules? Like, I'm not going to blame. You know what I mean? They, they, they expect to come to the show and, and we're going to be like Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, and say all these these things about him. And I'm just like, I think there was a lot of mistakes, and a lot of problems made, but I'm not going to fault the kid for running away from a fight and then defending himself. He also then came out about the Ahmed Arbery case. His premise was basically that because we viewed the individual cases and these individuals and their rights individually, we were putting down or diminishing the black struggle. We were racist. We were pro-cop. And I'm like, dude, I say abolish the police all the time. He goes, yeah, but you don't mean it. So here's what ends up happening. Um, well, okay, I'll tell you what ends up happening. But first, let me stress. I tweeted, everybody's sharing that one clip from last night, but they don't share the part where we apologize to each other and we hug it out. RA's a cool dude and a legend. We just got heated and we both felt bad about it. We literally get up like a minute after that and we hug and I apologize. I'm sorry for raising my voice to you, man. And I shouldn't have done that. I'm supposed to be this guy hosting this show. I'm not supposed to be a hothead who starts yelling at a dude because he disagrees with me. If I invite somebody into my house, I have to give them respect. And that means they might say bad things to me, but they're the guest. That means I shouldn't be screaming at them because I asked them to come. I take full responsibility for that. Now, I don't think it's okay that RA got up and got mad and smacked the mic or whatever. But I think, look, there are a lot of things that made me angry and I got to own up to getting angry, yelling at him and insulting the guy. I take full responsibility, you know, and I think he is a cool dude. I'm not, I'm not, he, he responded, respect him, Cass. I was, out of, I was out of line last night. I have a lot of life stuff going on right now and brought that bullish energy to the show. I have to work on that. I was wrong. I got emotional and reacted like an idiot. Peace to Luke, we are change and Sour Patch Lids. Dude, this guy's awesome. This guy's fantastic. Several times on the show, he admitted he was wrong about things. Tremendous respect. Here's what ends up happening where I end up getting uh, uh, where I end up getting mad and, and how things break down. I feel like RA's attitudes towards racism in this country is exactly what it, it exemplified everything that I do not like and fight against. And so here it was, in my view, like sitting before me. And I'm not saying this to be mean to, uh, to disrespect the RA, as I've already stated. What it was was that I'd say something like, look, I do not believe I have ever had it worse than the black than black people in this country. I've never felt that way. I believe systemic racism exists. And for those that aren't familiar, I will give you a hard example. Blockbusting and redlining were practices that were occurring frequently up until the 80s. That means there are people in my they're millennials. There are people in my age group who are living in areas that are impoverished due to racist policies. It's a fact. Blockbusting was when they would go into white areas, buy a house, move in a black family or a minority family, and then scare all of the white people into moving, selling their houses at a cheap price, and then kicking out the black family and selling all the houses at a high price. It was disgusting. It's illegal. Redlining is where in in Chicago, the red line, they would literally draw out areas where they'd be like, that's where we're going to put all of this group and this minority. And they created extreme racial segregation in that city. So these policies may have been made illegal, 
But you need to understand that if they're stripping away the property value from black families and if they're forcing them to live in, in depressed areas, there are people my age who grew up in in a part of the city because of those policies. That's where we agree. And I don't like that stuff. And I want to solve for that problem. And that's what I was trying to explain to uh, to R.A. That when he says systemic racism and all that stuff, I'm like, yes, let me give people a real concrete example. A kid born in uh, a guy, let's say he's born in, in, in 1985. He's still living in redlined districts. He's still he grew up with that struggle because literal racist actions taken by individuals back then. That does not mean that individual real estate agents today are going out there and, and being overtly racist, but the remnants still exist. I want that to go away. I want there to be a society where we treat people based on the content of the character, not the color of their skin. And this is what I tried explaining. And this is where things got heated. I started by saying, I do not believe I have it worse than black people or, or even Latinos. I don't know. What I can tell you is my family experienced racism. We were attacked by white supremacists. They, they littered pamphlets on our door and our porch or whatever. They threw a brick through our, our, our vehicle's window and, and vandalized the front of our house. And then R.A. laughed at me. And he told me I was lying and I, made, I was making it up. And I was like, bro, I'm literally telling you that white supremacists attacked my family and you're laughing at me. And he goes, yeah, because I don't believe you because you're a white boy. You're a white boy. You're a white boy over and over again. And so I, I would say things to him like, how do you think that how do you think that makes somebody feel? when they tell you that they were a victim of white supremacy or racism and you laugh in their face. And then I mentioned that, look, they, they, they like to come out and say Tim Pool opposed identity politics. And I'm like, that's, that's, that's a misappropriation. or That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a misattribution, I suppose, because I actually don't. What I oppose is the authoritarian application of identity politics. What I oppose is telling children to close their eyes and reflect on the evilness of their whiteness or why their whiteness is bad. One of the things I said in the, other, in the episode the other day was, I don't care if it's critical race praxis or Christianity or Juda- Judaism or, or Islam. Schools should not tell children to sit down, close their eyes and pray to the Lord or reflect on their whiteness. These are ideological practices. What we should tell kids is this is what Christians believe. And here's their book. This is what critical race theorists believe. And this is their book. So I don't want books banned from schools to a certain degree. I think that's important to just draw a distinction between two. So like like uh, adult explicit content. Yeah, I understand why we don't have that for kids. But books themselves should not be banned. The practice or praxis of certain things should be. Practice meaning theory and practice from these woke individuals. It was really difficult for me because, uh, uh, you know, he just he, he it, it, it's it's uh, what I said was you can't argue with ideological racism. This guy, R.A. the Rugged Man, and, and, I'm, and I'm not saying this you know, because I'm trying to jump up any drama or anything. I think he's a good dude, but I do think he is overtly racist. Now, let me explain. There, 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 are, there, are, there are nice people who are good working people who believe in, in doing better, who are willing to admit what they're wrong, but they have bad views. And I think we solve for that problem by having these conversations. I do think that his racism makes him, in some ways, a bad person. But I think his willingness to, to apologize, to hug it out, and to, to explain where he was wrong is what makes him a good person, too. I don't think that uh, I think racism is bad. I think his racism is bad. And I think there are many, many racists who are substantially worse. So it's tough. It's a tough thing to say. 
that, you know, I think he's a good dude, but I also think he's racist. Yeah, because I think he's got a lot to learn. I think he needs to read about these these criminal cases. I think he needs to read and understand individualism. I think he, he needs to, to, to give people a chance and be more compassionate. But I think he was willing to do some of that. But I do think the racism, his racism is a bad thing. And his racism manifested itself in when he said, this is, this is where we, we disagree, right? He, he was more of a collectivist. I'm an individualist. He said, I was like, if there's a black dude and a white dude, same education, same family upbringing, same neighborhood, same town, same everything, identical. The only difference is their race. Who would you hire? And he said, if a studio is 85% white, give the black guy a chance. And I was like, okay, I hear you. I just think it's wrong to use race as the predeterminate factor as to why you hire somebody. If these, if neither of these guys are impoverished or poor or anything like that, and they had identical upbringings, why would you choose someone based on race? I'm not saying which one you should choose. I don't know. And his view was that white people have always had the opportunities, and it was very much the white privilege narrative, which he said. And this is what really, this is what really sets me off. I grew up with, uh, so everything, you know, I try to say, you know, I talk about this stuff. I always try to be as clear as possible, but it doesn't matter because people take clips. They took the clip of me and RA getting heated. They didn't share the clip of us then hugging and apologizing and and saying, you know, look, man, you know, I'm sorry about that. And us being, yeah, you know, it was cool. And we worked it out because I don't want to fight anybody. They want to, you get people on the right saying, you know, Tim has, you know, he should have done this. And people are saying Tim's, Tim's packing and Tim's, you know, carries heat and all that stuff. And I'm like, dude, I did not think for a second that there was any risk to anybody in that room other than the, uh, other than the microphone was not a person. Well, I didn't think there was any risk to anything when he slapped the mic, but I didn't think he was going to you know, hurt anybody. That's, that's, that's crazy that, that I, uh, do you guys think that about him or me that, you know, look, I, I just think we disagree on, on, on deep political stuff. But here was the issue. Here, here, let me explain. Let me say a lot of what I was saying. Uh, my grandparents, my grandfather was a white dude. My grandmother was a Korean woman. And it was illegal for them to be married. It was literally a crime. I'm not, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. It was a crime. It was, there, there were anti-miscegenation laws. You could not cohabitate. And this was, this was just like, maybe this is almost 100 years ago now. That's crazy, right? And so uh, my grandparents had kids, mixed race kids. And that was also scary. I hear stories from my family about being insulted and spat on and called racial slurs. How my mom said they had to pretend that my grandma was the, was the help. Because if people found out that she was actually living there and married to my grandfather, they would be in serious trouble. And that my, fam- my mom's side of the family had to flee several states. I think it was 12. Because these are stories I was told growing up. That they had to flee uh, 12 states because of the miscegenation laws. And I wondered, like, why don't you go to a state where it was not illegal? And it's like, you go where you can find the work, where you can strut, you survive, and you take the risks you take. So my mom grows up. She's half Korean. And she meets my dad, another white guy. And I'm a quarter Korean. And then I grow up still seeing remnants of all of this stuff. As I mentioned, these racist policies like blockbusting and redlining, there are others. Many of them have been a form- formally ended, but this existed in the 80s, man. In the 80s. I was born in 1986. So my, my family is still dealing with this. And in no way am I, am I saying it's anything like what black people experience. I think, many, uh, I think the black community uh, has a tendency towards experiencing substantially worse things. I say tendency because I also know very well-off black people who haven't experienced that. And I know people who immigrated here recently who don't view themselves as part of you know, that community. They view themselves as immigrants. They're black. So when I try explaining to, to, to RA, I want a world where I don't, I don't get judged on the basis of my race. 
you, you, you know, you know, you know, he, he just kept calling me a white boy over and over again. And every time I said, dude, I have experienced racism, he would just laugh, laugh and say, no, you're lying. He said, you're, these stories you're telling, they're Jesse Smollett stories. You're making it up. See, that's really, really frustrating to have a white dude. When I'm saying I believe racism is a problem, I believe systemic racism is a problem, but I won't. When, when we had one super chat where a woman said I was white, my, my mom worked two or three jobs struggling to get by. He said, I don't care. I don't care. White people problems, something to that effect. And I'm like, I asked him, why wouldn't you approach that person with compassion? He says, no, I don't have to. I don't have to. And I'm like, okay, well, there's the issue. While I can acknowledge all of these issues of racism, I would never look at a poor white person and be like, your, your, your problems, your life and your struggle don't matter because there's other, no, 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 no. I'd be like, all right, let me know what you need. I want everybody to feel better. To, act, to, to, to outright dismiss somebody and their experiences and the, and the hardships they've gone through because of their race is racist. I don't want to live in that world. Here's the reality. I don't think I've dealt with the worst racism imaginable. I don't think my life has been, you know, uh, a boot. Like, well, I, I, I've experienced racism. And, and I'll explain something to you guys because it's, it's crazy how people don't get this. But you look at the comments from other people who are, who are mixed Asian and they're like, they basically say the same things. There's, 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 there's a different experience. This is, this is what intersectionality typically refers to. That different pe- people experience different forms of racism based on their identities. I have never disagreed with that. Ben Shapiro didn't disagree with that. Like, it's true. If you're a black man, there are certain forms of things people believe about you or stereotype you as. If you're a black woman, if you're half, if you're mixed or whatever. What I don't like is the authoritarian application of, and I don't like the establishment attacking people based on their race. It's racism. I don't care if you're, you know, black or Latino or Asian or white. I don't want someone to come up to a white person and insult them and use racial slurs against them for being white. I want to just be American. I want to be human. So I try to explain that. Let me, let me, let me, let me break something down for you guys in, from my experience um, in my life. There are a lot of people on the left, depending on, you know, what they want to believe and what they don't like about me, who will tell me uh, I'm everything that they they, they don't like. During Occupy Wall Street, I was told that I was the perfect example of the problem. I'm a minority, mixed race, high school dropout from a poor neighborhood, but I'm a smart guy. And why don't I have the opportunity? And then I got the opportunity. I gave it. I, I took I took it upon myself to go down Occupy and film things. And I got press coverage. As soon as I was featured in Time Magazine, what did the occupier say? He's a white boy, silver spoon in his mouth, rich kid, blah, blah, blah. I immediately just transformed into this thing. There were people there, and this is, this is one, one of the things I experience a lot. White people tend not to call me white. It especially depends on the season, mind you, and I'm not exaggerating. Literal seasons. In the summer, I tan very, very easily. I, I become very dark. I have... Uh, a rounder face. I have Asian facial hair. And when my skin is dark, I do not get called white. Growing up, this is my experience. Growing up, I was in a, a very mixed area in Chicago. And that made it work really for everybody because me and my, my friends of different backgrounds, we're like, we're all different. You know what I mean? It, but but it, we were all the same. It wasn't, you know, like one dude had darker skin and one person didn't and whatever. We didn't care. One dude was swarthy, but we we that was normal that people look slightly different. So I, we thought it was cool. You know, we were like, racism isn't a thing for us. For us, it was just stupid jokes and, and, and punching each other's shoulders. But I did, I, did learn, I, start, I did start to understand things when I would venture off from the, from the south side of Chicago and go to these suburbs. I'd find that, first of all, I was poor, very poor, um, not the poorest, not absolutely not the poorest, 
we were we were initially lower middle class and like upper lower class boundary, I guess. And going going to overwhelmingly white suburbs, it was really interesting to see, um, you know, to to experience what it was like to not be a part of a community. I'm not going to cry about it. No one mistreated me. They just treated me different. This guy already didn't want to believe that. He told me I was lying, but it's true. I would go from the city, go to the suburbs where 99% white, and they would say things like, so what are you? Where are you from? That's the kind of thing. I don't cry about microaggressions. I would just be like, oh, um, you know, my mom's part Korean. I second generation, you know, mixed. My here's, my here's my family's from. Those are real experiences. And it's not that people were uh, were mean to me about it, but it certainly makes you feel like, you know, you're not a part of this. I had some alt-right guys tell me this. They said, you don't understand uh, race because you don't have one. This is when I was in Portland and the left likes to take this photo and smear me with it. But I was talking to these guys who were white identitarians and they said, you don't you don't have this. You don't have the racial community. You don't have. And I was like, you're correct. And I don't want that to be what this country is about, especially because I don't have it, but because other people don't have it and because we can all be people and live and work together. And now the white nationalist view is this is their people. I don't have that. I don't have like a quarter, a Quapa community, you know. There's, there, there's Hapa's half Asian. That's, that's what it means. And Quapa quarter Asian. There's different experiences. And I've had people who have are of similar backgrounds say the same thing. You go to these neighborhoods that are predominantly uh, white and people just act like they know something is off about you. And that was my experience. I'm not saying people were bad people. This is just my life. And I learned, I learned it's just, it's, it's how things are. I don't cry about it. But I do think that if you're going to claim to be fighting racism and I say, hey, let's consider what I went through and why I think this is bad. How, but then you just outright laugh and say, you're lying. I don't believe you. And I don't care anyway. I'm like, that's exactly the problem with wokeness. They accentuate and deny racism in this country. I want people to have every opportunity. I want real diversity. I want to see, you know, like, like we should be at a point where industries just reflect the, the, the natural population of, of, of the country. What I mean is, if, we, if there was a business and it had 70% white people, I'd be like, yeah, most people who live here are white. If they had 13% black people, I'd be like, 13% of people who live around here are black. Um, I think re- representative, you know, population, re- representative population would be a great thing. However, it, 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 it's either going to happen or it's not. I don't think we should be denying people opportunities because of their race. Racism does not cure racism. That's what Ibram X. Kendi believes. And I think he's wrong about that. I think familiarity ends racism. I think growing up together, I think recognizing the problems of the past. And that's a lot of what the left claims to do. And that's why I agree with some of it. But in the establishment, in the mainstream, what do you get? We have a book that was showed by Asra Nomani on Timcast IRL, The Whiteness Contract. RA says, oh, that's, you know, that's a scare tactic. And I'm like, but there's like 20 or 30 books. We're complaining specifically about these books. If you take that to assume we're saying every school everywhere and everything ever said is this one book, that's not what we're saying. So here's where I got mad. So I'm explaining this to him. One of the things I was explaining is I don't have a community. And he laughed. He said, I don't care. And I'm like, bro, you're a white dude. You have Italian, Sicilian family. You have the old country. You have all of those things. I don't have any of that, okay? And I'm not saying it makes me better or worse off than any other. I'm just explaining to you, that means there's no retreat. 
Either I choose to live in a world where we're Americans first, or I don't have whatever this racial garbage people, you know, identitarianism. That's never going to happen for me. Unless like at a tiny scale of like the 0.0001% of hoppas and quappas in this country, like come together and start talking about it. So he started saying, oh, did you have this? Did you have that? Did you have this? And then the one thing he said was you get pulled out of the line at the airport. That set me off. You know why? Because I do almost every time. I've talked about it over and over and over again. Maybe it's political. I don't know. I went to Austin recently. I flew there. I got pulled out of the line. They said, you've been chosen for a random screening, sir. Happens all the time. When I was in the UK, they gave me a ticket that had four S's on it. I don't know what that means. Security of some sort. They pulled me out of the line. I don't get to board first. I don't get to put my my, my bag in the carry-on because I get pulled out of line. I don't know why. Political, maybe. But it's crazy for him to be like, that doesn't happen to you. And that set me off because I was like, dude, we're at a point now where I'm sitting across from a guy who is saying over and over again that he doesn't care that people are racist to me. He said he did not care that white supremacists attacked my family and he didn't believe me anyway. He laughed at me and he told me to lower my voice and he called me a bitch. That that set me off. Then I lowered my voice because he was right. I lowered, I was yelling. I was like, this happens to me all the time. Almost every single time I go to the airport, I get pulled out. And they said, lower your voice, lower your voice, lower your voice, bitch. And so I said, okay, all right, I'm lower my voice. I'm lower, lower my voice. And then he says, don't yell at me because I'm not that guy. And then I said, yes, you are that guy. You are that guy. And a bunch of these lefties are like, the class divide is real because Tim doesn't know what you are that guy means. And I was just like, what do you think was going on in this moment? You think I don't know what he was saying? He literally was saying to me, don't yell at me because I'm not that guy. And I said, yes, you are. So I was mad and I felt that was out of line. That's why I was, I apologized to him. I understand. I was calling him a bitch. He called me a bitch. So I got pissed off. He was telling, he was laughing at me. He was telling me that my experiences weren't real. He was telling me that it didn't matter that my family was attacked and that I should, I should just shut up. And I'm, I'm not going to live in a world where you have people who believe that the, the it's, it's, it's called white savior, right? I'm not going to, I wouldn't stand for that. So I, I got mad. I went off. I shouldn't have, you know, when it comes, look, I'm going to own up to this 100%. I invite this guy into my home. We, we, we know the things he believes and then I raised my voice at him. I shouldn't have done that. He's allowed to laugh at me. He's, he, he doesn't owe me anything. He came in here and did us a favor by being on that show. And I know people don't, don't like him or that some people thought the show was bad. I thought it was a good show. And I should not have raised my voice. And then when he said, don't do that to me, I should not have said, you're that guy. I was wrong in that. So he got up and he slapped the mic. Yeah, I mean, he shouldn't have again. But dude, I, 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 I basically insulted him. He shouldn't have insulted me, but... You know, I, I, I should be in control. It's my responsibility. But I'll, I'll tell you what really, really grinds my gears and what makes me the angriest is my family experiences racism. I just want people to understand it's bad for you, for anybody, no matter what your race is. I don't care if you're white, black, Latino. People shouldn't crap all over you, take away opportunities from you and harm you in any way because of your race, period. All right doesn't agree with that. He believes more in racial identitarianism. He believes that we should be heavily focused on the black struggle and to, I guess, to varying degrees, diminishing against how we deal with other struggles. He doesn't care that um, he, 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 he literally just said, because I looked white to him, that things I said were either lies. And I'm like, that's it. That's the racism. That's what I don't like. 
That's what dry, what what pisses me off. You know what I mean? And so I got really, really mad about it. And it made me really pessimistic at the end of that member segment because I was just like, I don't think racism's ever going away. And the reason is because of people like R.A. the Rugged Man. Look, I can, I, I can, I want to give him respect and I want to be, I'm apologetic for sure, but I got to be honest. When a dude can sit there and look in my face, a guy who is a, a 100% white dude and tell me that it was, it was just, you know, my, my, my family had to deal with the, with pre-loving view Virginia, that miscegenation laws. And he was like, yeah, well, you know, Sicilians didn't like Italians. And I'm like, my family would go to jail, dude. Like your family just got mad at each other. I'm not trying to diminish what he went through. I respect that. But he was using it to diminish what my family went through. And all I'm trying to get across is, can we just stop judging people on their race? He doesn't want to do that. He wants to do that. He wants people judged on their race. He would, rather, he, he would, want, he would use race as a, as a predeterminant in how people go to school and how they get hired. And it's crazy. That's just racism. He's just a racist guy. And I wish... He could understand, but how do you convince a racist to not be racist? Daryl Davis, I suppose. You know, I got to give respect to him because he admitted he was wrong several times and for apologizing and all that stuff. But uh, that's, that's, that's my view on everything. I think intersectionality, I understand it completely. I completely understand critical race theory, but I do not agree with the Marxist undertones. I do not agree that we should be telling kids we should be implementing a praxis in these schools where we inject this ideology into other subject matter like math. It's just it's gone too far to say that math is racist. It's like, dude, no, it's not. Much of our math is Arabic algebra. We use Arabic numerals. I think these people are just overtly racist. And I tell you this at a personal level, it scares me about what that means for me and what it means for my family what it means for my future family. I don't want to live in a world where I have to tell my kids to lie about what their race is. Because that's what I had to go through. And, and when he found out, it was funny, when he found out that I was a quarter Korean, he said, you're not even, you're only a quarter? Oh, geez, dude, and started laughing. And I was like, how do you think that makes me feel? You're laughing about that. And he's like, I'm not laughing at you being, I'm just saying, you're like, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, it's crazy. It really, really is. To have a white dude claim to be fighting racism laugh at me based on the things I went through, even though I was trying to agree with him. It just really felt like getting spit on over and over again. Your life doesn't matter. I don't care what you've been through. I don't agree with you. I don't believe you. And I don't care because you are, you oppose my views. And I'm just like, ideological racism, man. So I'll stress that last point. Systemic racism exists. I believe that uh, black people in this country have it way worse when it comes to racism than I do and ever will. That's a fact. And then there are some people who are well off and they're black. And there are some people who are poor and who are white. And that's why I feel like the whole thing is just a class issue at this point. We need to address for class because if you believe that institutional racism has held people back, then, then, then addressing for class will solve these problems disproportionately for those who are negatively impacted by it, by, by racist issues. But when you just keep saying you want to use race, you want to use race, you want to use race, then what we end up with is racist dudes saying racist things and refusing to acknowledge that they're racist. I'll leave it there, man. I don't, I don't, I don't see, we, I don't see a way we solve this because the left is going to claim I'm racist. And it's funny, like, this is what I, this is what just drives me nuts. White people telling me that I'm the real racist because my family experienced racism and I want it to stop. How about that? Hey man, look, all is said and done. 
RA apologized. I apologized to him. I take responsibility for raising my voice, voice at somebody that I invited to come in here. So you, you come in here, you're allowed to disagree with me. You're allowed to laugh at me. You're allowed to mock me. And I should not have raised my voice. That's on me. I'll leave it there. RA, man, I think you're a cool dude. Much respect to the work you've done. Uh, my, this is a great song, dude. The, the King of the Underground is, is it's an epic song. I know this song from when I was playing. Look at PS2, man, playing skateboarding video games. I've been skateboarding my whole life. I know this dude. And I got mad respect for the work he's done. I just wish people would wake up to what's going on with the racism. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcast. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then.